Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. The leaves are dropping fast now, temperatures are dipping, and the days continue to get shorter. But on the plus side, it's the perfect time to throw on your favorite sweater, slip under a cozy blanket, and listen to today's show. Because here's what's coming up. I welcome my first guest, Amanda Jete Knox, onto the show three years ago to discuss their book, Love Lives Here. Today, they join me to discuss the alarming rise in transphobic hate and why 2022 was the first year they feared for their life doing their job as an advocate for the 2S LGBTQI community. Lindsay Seeley, author of Made For More, is back to discuss Gen Z women and girls, and this week we take a look at the relentless pursuit of more. More money, more cars, more clothes, but is that really making us happy? Of course, we all know the answer to that, so how then can we help our girls find the more that really matters? More love, more fulfillment, more peace. As always, Anne Brody is in with entertainment, and this week we take a look at Shantaram on Apple TV Plus, starring Charlie Hunnam, who takes us on an extreme adventure in Bombay, Plan A on TVOD, which is based on the true story of a cell of Jewish underground resistance members, Welcome to Wrexham on FX Disney Plus, starring Canada's favorite son, Ryan Reynolds, and Big Bad Budget Battle with the Pioneer Woman. Mushrooms are enjoying a moment in the sun as we learn more and more about their health benefits. As part of our ongoing partnership with New Roots Herbal, we take a closer look today with Dr. Colleen Hartwick, who breaks down their benefits on everything from brain health to immune support. Despite increased international attention, the number of people falling victim to human trafficking around the world continues to grow, and Canada is no exception. Alexandra Stevenson knows this all too well as a victim of sex trafficking. She joins me to share what we need to know to prevent this from happening to more young women and girls. Finally, homelessness is on the rise across Canada due to a variety of factors, but the bottom line is that too many people will be cold, unsheltered, and hungry this winter. Our response needs to be swift. Dr. Karen Shin from St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto joins me to discuss. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. My next guest was the very first guest on what she said when I took it over in January of 2020. Nearly three years later, a lot has changed. Amanda Chate Knox is an award-winning author, speaker, and human rights activist who specializes in LGBTQ plus and mental health issues. 2022 was the first year they seriously considered that they might get killed doing their job. Amanda joins me now to share why the rise in transphobic behavior is putting this community at risk. Welcome back, Amanda. I wish it was under better circumstances. Me too, Candace, but thank you for having me. Well, you know, I saw this thread that you shared on Twitter, and it was very raw and very real. So I would like to actually start our conversation there. What prompted you to share that information? This year has been a really tough year for the trans community. And by trans, I mean transgender community, including the non-binary community, which I'm a member of. Um, And anyone who affirms us, who supports us in a way that's really positive, that can include family members, um, it can include friends, coworkers, neighbors, doctors, nurses, anyone in healthcare who's really trans-friendly, we're seeing a real rise in um, in in threats, in harassment, in boycotts and protests, in new laws coming out in various countries that are suppressing the rights of trans people. And I've had enough threats myself and enough harassment myself that I have had to take a step back and think, you know, I've been doing this job since my child came out in 2014 as a trans, um, at first a trans girl, and then later on as non-binary. 
I have never had a year like this. And I have never had a year where I've thought to myself, I could go to work, I could go to an event, I could go to the grocery store and walk through the parking lot and not come home. Because that is the reality right now, as uh, as, as frightening as that is. Where is this rise in hatred coming from? It's coming from a place of transphobia and intolerance. We're, we're seeing a rise in fascism around the world. I think that's undeniable right now. Um, you know, they just elected a far-right political group in, um, in Italy. This is happening in Sweden. This is happening in a lot of places. Um, we're seeing a lot of polarization. And what happens is when you have far-right groups... Um, the the intolerance really starts to to become more prominent. What we're what's been happening lately is this idea that trans people are groomers or unfortunately pedophiles. That that is a that is a topic that comes up and it's an accusation that comes up again and again and again and again. There's absolutely no basis in fact for it. Uh, none at all. It, it's a fear mongering technique, but it works. And so what happens is when people get this idea in their head, when they're fed this disinformation online through large alt-right accounts and through political figures who are trying to create laws around this, you're seeing that escalate into acts of violence. And that violence can either be somebody is screaming at a trans person on the, on the street or harming them in some way. And that has always happened, but it's happening more now. Um, it, it's also, you know, you can see it online and there's a, and you know, you follow me on social media, so you know the type of stuff that I get. And I'm just one person. I'm one visible person. There, there is a lot of hate out there and you don't know what that's going to do. Is it going to be taken off? offline next. If somebody thinks that I am a real risk to children for being who I am or affirming my own trans child, does that mean that they're going to want to harm me? That is entirely possible. Yeah. And the other thing that, you know, we talked about this almost three years ago, unfortunately, and it just sort of come out was, was the rise in TERFs, uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists. And it seems like that uh, subsection has grown as well. Would you agree? Absolutely. And unfortunately, the two groups tend to work together a lot. So it's, it's ironic that the term feminist is, is wrapped into TERFs. I, I don't know if feminism is really feminism in, unless um, you're intersectional. And if you don't include trans people in your feminism, then you're not intersectional. And therefore, as far as I'm concerned, not really a feminist. Um, but they will work with these alt-right groups. You're seeing a lot of sharing of ideas and language, um, a lot of similar people showing up at events. You'll have, um, you know, alt-right people showing up at turf events. You'll have turfs showing up at alt-right events. Um, they'll have, they'll be on each other's, you know, YouTube channels talking about how awful trans people are. And um, that is all sort of boiling up into this, real hatred towards the community. And I mean, perhaps the most famous turf of all, of course, we can't, we have to say her name, J.K. Rowling, because I don't think a lot of people know this about uh, her. Um, and she is still quite vocal in this community, which is a real shame. But I want to shift the conversation from all of this hate to love, because that's what you talk about a lot. So how about the people that support you, that follow you on social media, how can we support your community right now? It's, it's a, first of all, it's a great question. And I love when people ask that because it shows a willingness to take it beyond empathy. So empathy to me is I am trying to put myself in your shoes and understand where you're coming from. And compassion is I am trying to understand where you're coming from and help you at the same time. How can I help? What action can I take? And so with that, I would say, listen to us, first of all. Um, if you're going to learn about trans and non-binary people, learn from the source because you're not going to get that information very well from somebody who doesn't live it. Um, and then the job is to counter a lot of that disinformation and misinformation. So disinformation is purposeful misinformation. That is when somebody is actively spreading harmful rhetoric. Misinformation is what happens when that disinformation gets out there on a grand scale and somebody doesn't know that it was purposely sent out and they're just spreading that because they think it's true. When you hear that, if you are hearing that around the dinner table, if you're hearing that at work, if you're hearing that on the street, if you're seeing it online, 
counter it, please, because there are many more of you than there are of us. And the more that we're all having these conversations, the easier it's going to get for everybody. And the other thing to do that's really important is ask people what they need, right? You just did that with me. If you have um, a trans family member, you have um, you know a queer person who lives down the street from you and you can see that they're a little worried, you, you've talked to them a little bit, say, hey, what do you need from me? How can I help you? How can I help you feel safe? How can I help you feel better? Because that individual care, it goes a really, really long way. And I have to say, I, I wish people would follow you on social media um, because you dispel a lot of these myths and misinformation and disinformation out there. But I can also say you're boring AF. I mean, you go get groceries. <laughs> You're not I out am. there. I'm very dull. Thank you for recognizing that. I am actually very boring. You're not out there corrupting people, but you joke about this all the time that, you know, you're just a mom, you're cooking meals, you're doing the boring things we all do every day. There's no major uh, gay agenda, which I've heard you uh, joke about, you know, uh, you've you sort of lost that manual, I think, a while ago. But I, I think it's important to follow trans people, queer people, um, in your, in your social media feeds, because this, you know, it just, it normalizes everything. And it, it makes you realize that these are just people looking to live a happy, normal life. Yeah. Today I took my son to school. I grabbed a coffee. I went for a walk in the woods. I came home and I made lunch. And now I'm talking to you. Like, this is basically what I've done, right? Like this is, this is my whole, this is my whole, life. It is not, um, it's not weird. It's a very, very average life. And I'm, I'm very happy to live it. And I'm very happy to share it with people because I think that there is this idea that we're somehow very, very different. We're not very different. We're really just like everybody else. And there's nothing to be afraid of. And there's nothing to be disturbed by. It's just me and it's just other trans people. Yeah, I think that's what I love so much about following you. And, and you did encourage me a couple of years ago um, uh, your partner Zoe encouraged me to follow other trans people and I did and 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 I think that's just so great because I just love it's just so normal now to see all of this in my feed and it's it's lovely and they're all just such kind wonderful funny people uh, like yourself so I want people to find you Amanda where can they find you and and your book because I noticed that Indigo recently re-released it yeah, so my book is called Love Lives Here, a story of thriving in a transgender family. It's the story of our family. It is a memoir. And yeah, Indigo is thrilled. Indigo pitched 25 of their favorite books of all time from all over the world, with an emphasis on Canadian lit for sure. Um, and they chose Love Lives Here as one of them, and they've reprinted it in this beautiful hardcover. So that I'm, I'm so happy about. You can also follow me on social media, uh, on Twitter. I'm at Maven of Mayhem. That is probably my biggest social media. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram, Maven underscore of underscore Mayhem, because somebody stole the other one. And you can follow me on Facebook as well, Maven of Mayhem. That's a slash Maven of Mayhem. I also have a website, which is amandajatainox.com. All right. Incredible. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Candace. It was great to be here. She keeps me warm. She keeps me warm. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Jen said women and girls are coming of age in a period of increased stress and anxiety. Connected to technology from the cradle, parents and caretakers of this group struggle with how to help them navigate it all when they have a hard time keeping up themselves. Lindsay Seely, author of Made for More, a fresh start approach to a bolder, brighter you, offers the inspiration and guidance young women today need. Lindsay has been joining What She Said for a series on Gen Z, and today in the third installment, we talk about the quest for more and what that looks like. Welcome back to the show, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. So when we say more, I think people automatically are going to go to the material 
things in life, but that's not what we really should be pursuing, correct? Correct. I think that's very, very easy to pursue more in societal terms, more money, more, uh, more success, more followers, more achievements, accomplishments, and, and everything that we're told that quote unquote should mean. But yeah, this book is couldn't be more opposite than society's definition of more. So what are some of the things then that you want girls to be pursuing in terms of looking for more in their lives? Well, I think I, I, first of all, unpack this idea of more. So we want more because we want that feeling of meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And sometimes I think societal more gives us that, you know, you make more money, you feel good, you have more followers, you feel popular and quote unquote successful. And, and that is sort of this, this temporary feeling of, you know, good enough. But I think at the end of the day, there will always feel that something is missing because it's, I don't want to say the wrong kind of more, but it's a more that often just leaves us feeling empty and definitely just wanting something different, but not knowing what it is. So the book looks at more from an inside out approach. So let's look at more as in more of the good stuff from inside of you, more happiness, more authenticity, more connection, more um, progress over perfection, and, and yeah, more power. So being able to define it on our own terms and have it be not from the outside in, but from the inside out, trying to get that feeling of, yeah, this is it. This is my purpose. This gives me meaning. And this makes me feel really good about myself. Yeah, I think that's so important because, you know, we talk about in terms of more and there's all kinds of studies that done on this. You know, uh, you can look at even income, for example, that there's there's lots of studies that say once you make a certain amount uh the it starts to be diminishing returns on your happiness so, so money so can true. buy happiness to a certain amount but then after that it's diminishing returns so it's like everything you can get too much of a good thing uh and, and so the things that we should be focusing on as you said are those internal things that will sort of never let you down, right? And being content in the space you're in. That's right. And it's a little bit of a trick. I believe the number you're looking for is 75,000. So we think, oh, if I just made a little, if I just made a little more money, right? Or 80 or whatever. It I is. was going to say, I think with, I think with inflation, that may be higher now. Right, but yes, right. you're right. It is 75,000. Yeah. And I've fallen into that too. It's like, oh, if I just get one more degree or run one more marathon or make X more dollars per month, well, then of course, I'll feel happy. But the trick, it the life trick is what about when you don't so you get everything that you think you want but there's that feeling of like is, is this it because then it just feels like kind of same old and you look for that something more substantial and I think that's the beauty of this book and the inside out approach is like well maybe it's it's about um I don't more giving or maybe it's about more living more mindfully, more passionately. Maybe it's about including some more people in your circle. So it's not about you. What kind of feeling does that give? Because my guess is it's going to feel different and it's likely going to feel more substantial and better. So as we're talking about this, you know, mm -hmm. this, this, you and I are, we're older, we've obviously had, you know, things in life that have given us wisdom and, 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 and growth. Uh, so it's a little bit easier said than done for us. So in the book, sure. do you give young women concrete, actionable steps they can take to move towards this in their life? I do. Actually, that's a good point. I want to always um, keep balance in mind, right? So you're right. I have achieved and accomplished. And so now I'm at this place of like that plateau of what now? What's next? But there is nothing wrong with pushing yourself to grow. Because I think as humans, that's what we want to be doing, growing and learning and becoming and evolving. There is that that is beautiful. It's a beautiful part of life. I'm just saying let's grow in both ways, those external ways and those internal ways. And I think the book is exceptionally practical. So even if I look at something like happiness, you know, you're not you're not feeling happy, but you're thinking, oh, I'd like to be a little bit more happy. Like why why wait for it? Instead of, you know, I'll be happy when I get the job, I'll be happy when I become more fit. I'll be definitely be happy when I get into that relationship or, you know, buy the house or, you know, pay off my, my student loans. But what about happiness now? Could you make a happy list 
for today? Like, why are we waiting for this happiness? So maybe your happiness list is playing some music and, you know, baking some, baking a cake and taking your dog out for a walk and maybe getting to that art project that you've been meaning to or starting that podcast or whatever it is, do it today. And you don't have to do it all. You just have to take one step and that's your one step towards growth. And that could be the new definition of happy. I hope that we all are encouraging our young women out there to chase more in life and uh, and get away, get step aside from the pressures that uh, they're under from society. So I want people to be able to grab the book and keep up with you. Where can they do that? They can visit my website at lindsayseely.com and they can always follow me on Instagram at Bold New Girls. Okay, thank you so much for joining me today, Lindsay. She's just a girl, but she's on fire. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody, and this week we're kicking things off literally by kicking things off with soccer. That's right. <laughs> In real life, Ryan Reynolds, that was a good one. And his friend, Rob McElhenney, uh, bought a club in Wales, a soccer club. <laughs> um, and so they go over there. They know nothing about soccer. They know nothing about managing a team. So it's a series that follows them from like walking in the dark through all these landmines and wondering if they'll be accepted as foreigners who own a beloved local team. Um, you know, they have a lot of a lot of things to overcome, but he's charming. Ryan's just charming and his friend's so funny and it's it's nice to watch them. I'm not a sports person, so I didn't really relate to it, but I can certainly relate to Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, he's he's adorable. I mean, how he's Canada's favorite son. I mean, how can you not love the I know, guy? Right? Um, yes. Also, interesting timing though with this because you know of uh, Ted Lasso being such a hit, there is a collective interest in soccer. So um, I've even seen yeah. some people suggesting there's a soccer game between uh, Ted Lasso's uh, team <laughs> and uh, and and Wrexham. So that should be interesting. Uh, let's so talk actors versus real players. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right, let's talk about Shantaram. Okay, this is really fun and exciting and exotic. Charlie Hunnam, who is so damned handsome, plays um, a heroin addict who's in jail in Australia or New Zealand, I forget which. He actually escapes. Um, so he, he's, he's just, he's not like most people. He thinks in a completely different way. Somehow he gets out. He runs off to Bhopal, India. No, excuse me, it's shot in Bhopal. It's supposed to be Bombay. And um, begins to set up a new life for himself. And he gets mixed up naturally with shady characters like government officials and a woman who's a fixer. There's kind of a little romance that may happen. But um, so anyway, in, in amongst all this, he loses everything. He has nothing. So he's forced to live in the slums. Now, these slums in um, the city go on for miles and miles, sheds and shacks and burlap, and it's just so sad and fires everywhere. Anyway, because of him and his complicated life, uh, there's a fire, 30 homes are destroyed, and uh, the gangs come in after him. So... Uh, it's really unusual. It's so unexpected to me because it was it, it's based on a man's real life. There are questions on how truthful he was in his book, uh, but this is one heck of a ride, and it's on Apple TV+. Plus. Very, very good. I think this week the one that stood out to me in terms of the trailers was Plan A. That looks intense. You know what? And it's so interesting because um, uh, the lead character lost his entire family in the Holocaust. This is post-war Berlin. He lost his entire family, so he joins the uh, Jewish Brigade. Now, that was after someone said to him, why didn't you stand up to him? And there was no answer to be given. So he decides that he's on a revenge mission. Um, ultimately, they decide to 
poison the water supply of all the major German cities, which they realize will cost them the possibility of getting Israel as a designated country for Jews. So there's a lot of moral questions here. Uh, he is standing up to them finally. It's, it's good for his soul, but should it be done? So it's a real moral quandary, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed watching this one. I was, I mean, I'm always captivated by historical dramas, but especially uh, something like this that's based on a true story very much. I had never heard of this group before, so it looks very interesting. It, where is that, in? That is on TVOD, Transactional Video On Demand. Amazing. Okay, last one I want to talk about, because I think this is just top of mind for every single person listening, is Big Bad Budget Battle. You know what? It's my favorite show this week. <laughs> and it's just a food reality show. I mean, it's no big deal, but the lessons to be learned in it. And you know, the pioneer woman, re Drummond. So yeah, she's love her. the host. Yeah, I do too. She's very down to earth. She's the host. She has three contestants who are vying for a money prize and three judges. What they have to do is they're given $20. They have meager pantries behind them with only the bare basics. And they have to choose two frozen ingredients to make a great meal. And one guy gets fish sticks and teriyaki. I mean, what can you do with that? He makes a stunning meal. And they, so they, okay, $20, they go to Guy Fieri's Flavorland Market and they have 20 minutes to make a meal. And the tips they have are just wonderful. You know, they say, don't be afraid to use packaged goods sometimes or cooked goods like rice or taco seasoning instead of mixing it all yourself. Just don't be afraid to do that. Just do what you need to do to get the job done cheaply and in good time. I learned so much, I'm just thrilled and I'm just gonna be watching it faithfully. Yeah, incredibly timely show considering the cost of food right now. We could all use the, all the tips we could get on budgeting. Uh, and thanks so much for all this. Of course, you have all of this and more over on whatshesaidtalk.com and you will be back next week. I will be. Have a good one. More with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. As part of What She Said's continued partnership with New Roots Herbal, we're going to take a closer look at mushrooms today, something we are hearing more and more about as the science is shared. Dr. Colleen Hartwick is a licensed naturopathic doctor who has been in a family-focused private practice in Campbell River, BC since 2012. As a naturopathic doctor, Dr. Colleen focuses on the foundations of optimal health, including diet and lifestyle. With her background in psychology, Dr. Colleen also takes a trauma-informed approach to health and wellness, whereby she helps her patients identify and heal their childhood trauma as it relates to their present-day health challenges. She joins me today to share what women need to know about the health benefits of mushrooms. Welcome to the show, Colleen. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. So let's start with, you know, sort of what we do know about the health benefits of mushrooms. What do we know right now about their, like, what are they mainly used for? Okay. So just to be clear, again, we're not going to go into the psychedelic space when it comes to mushrooms. We're really going to be focused on uh, more medicinal applications of mushrooms like reishi, shiitake, lion's mane, that sort of thing. And so where we find ourselves using them most commonly Lots of good evidence about their use for various different immune pathologies. They've got some antiviral properties, capacity to be used in conjunction with things like chemotherapy for um, cancer treatment, cancer prevention. One mushroom in particular, lion's mane, um, it's got a lot of neurologic properties. It helps to increase the, the growth of connections between neurons. So finding it beneficial for, for memory, for cognition, for some neurodegenerative conditions like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease. 
Um, so I think we're just at the, the infancy stage in terms of unpacking everything that these medicinal mushrooms can do for us. But so far we know good brain effects and good immunologic effects. Okay, so it's a lot about uh, protecting our brain health then with the use of mushrooms, is that correct? At least with lion's mane, that um, in terms of type of mushroom, that's the one that's been best studied in terms of its ability to, again, help to create these new avenues and brain connections um, that's then protective against the development of dementia, Parkinson's disease, and other neurodegenerative conditions. So you say connection. So, you know, I remember um, when I was taking psychology that, that, you know, you stopped sort of developing new neural pathways at a certain age. Does this kind of help you as you age, create new pathways? It does. And I remember when I was in psychology as well, several years ago, um, that we didn't yet know that there was the capacity to have this, what we now know as neuroplasticity, this ability to to create new connections between existing neurons. As far as we know, we don't build new neurons, like everything you're born with in terms of all of those nerve cells, we don't increase their number, but what we can do is increase their, their connectivity and create these links between adjacent neurons. And one of the mushrooms we know that helps us do that is lion's mane. So let's, okay, lion's mane is for brain health, but what about uh, the other ones were reishi and cordyceps, shiitake, what would those help? They have more immunologic properties, at least as we know, so they can do things like increase T cell count. T cells are the type of cells that are involved in viral infections. They help us to recognize and eradicate various different types of cancer cells that develop. They're also involved in orchestrating an immune response and helping recruit other immune cells to the area. So. And as we know, with shiitake, reishi, cordyceps, coriolis, um, lots of good research coming about in terms of their ability to help with viral infections and various types of cancer. So do is there a certain way that you ingest these mushrooms? Like, is it a pill format? Do you have to prepare it a certain way? How does that work? That's such a great question for those of your listeners out there that aren't that familiar with mushrooms. Um, if you were to just eat the whole mushroom without preparing it appropriately, the compounds in there that have these immunologic effects, they're kind of sequestered away um, behind this tight shell. It's called chitin. It's the same material that like the, the shells of crustaceans are made of, like crab shell, lobster shell. If you've ever tried to bite into that, it's really firm and it's really rigid. And so these medicinal compounds, they're called polysaccharides, like long chain carbs, um, are found kind of hidden behind this chitin molecule. And so we have to prepare our mushrooms appropriately to break that chitin down and then gain access to all of those delicious immune beneficial ingredients. And how we do that is um, in the supplement world, it's called hot water extraction. We basically boil the mushrooms for hours on end that dissolves the chitin and then those polysaccharides become available to us. So usually how we do it, at least as naturopathic doctors, our administration is usually from a, a capsule. So from a supplement, but certainly at home for your listeners who want to maybe start incorporating mushrooms on the day to day, just want to make sure you cook those mushrooms for several hours on sort of low to medium heat to break down that chitin, make those polysaccharides accessible. So for example, though, but if we wanted to just buy them, like we could go in and we wouldn't have to go through that whole process, right? It's already done for us. For example, if we were to buy new reservable uh, medicinal mushrooms, that's done for us, that process. Yeah. It's already done for you. And how you'll know is on the, on the bottle, say hot water extraction. That way, you know, those mushrooms have been prepared to give you the greatest access to all of those yummy ingredients inside. Okay. So what about, can you get too much of a good thing? Are there things we should be looking for, if, you know, um, sort of contraindications, things like that for medicinal mushrooms? Uh, really good question. And of course, it's always best to run any supplements by your primary care uh, practitioner, whether it's a medical doctor, functional medicine doctor, or naturopathic doctor, because there are some things to be aware of um, based on where you are health status wise, you know, any potential interactions with medications. And the biggest one is that there is the possibility of a little bit of immune suppression with some of these um, mushrooms. So for someone with an autoimmune condition um, or someone who's undergoing chemotherapy, again, 
you want to work in collaboration and run these supplements by your primary care physician or your specialist just to make sure we're doing the right thing. And there can be some side effects every now and again. Usually it's GI stuff, maybe a little bit of upset tummy, nausea. Um, those are the most common side effects that uh, someone might experience if they're starting to implement mushrooms into their health regime. Would that be something that you would recommend? Like, you know, I know, like I take, for example, vitamin D daily and vitamin C daily. Would would this be something that people should incorporate daily or would this be for a specified period of time to help boost health? I mean, you can, I mean, mushrooms at the end of the day, they are food. So they kind of blur the line between food and medicine. So I think, again, always run this stuff, especially if you're going to go the supplement route, as opposed to say a food application where maybe you're making mushroom tea or you know, you're making mushroom soup, that kind of thing, where the amount of mushroom and the amount of medicinal ingredients you're going to be taking in is typically much less than you'll get from a supplement. As soon as you're kind of gravitating more towards the, the direct medical applications of going the supplement route, again, I'd encourage your listeners to run that by your um, primary care practitioner, just to make sure that you're doing everything the right way and safe with your health, health history. All right, perfect. I want people to be able to follow up with you obviously connect with you, keep up with you on social media. Where can they do that? Well, I am a little bit of a Luddite, so I don't have a huge social media presence, but I do have a website. It's campbellrivernaturopathic.com. So your listeners are welcome to get a little bit more information from me there. And I do have a uh, a Facebook page that's just under my name, Colleen Hartwick ND. So be able to find me on Facebook and friend me if you want to follow some of my posts, which are um, like you I outlined at the introduction, a lot based on mental health, codependency, people pleasing as well. So for those people who are interested in learning a little bit more about maybe childhood trauma and how that might be affecting them presently, you'll see a lot of that on my social media. All right. Incredible. And of course, if people want to find medicinal mushrooms in supplement form, uh, New Roots Herbal is available in natural health food stores across the country. So be sure to check them out or go to their website, newrootsherbal.com, where they have all kinds of information on all of these different types of mushrooms that Colleen was mentioning uh, earlier. So thank you so much for joining me today, Colleen. This was great. It was a pleasure. And I got bad tattoos you won't believe. So kick out the jams, kick up the soul. Pour another glass of that rock and roll. Turn up the band, find the whole gonna lose control tonight. Despite increased international attention, the number of people falling victim to human trafficking around the world continues to grow, and Canada is no exception. My next guest started her anti-trafficking work at 11 years old. Ten years later, she was trafficked. After escaping her trafficker, Alexandra Stevenson dedicated herself to learning everything she could about trauma, its effects, and after-effects. After working in the aftermath of trauma, both her own and others, Alexandra recognized the power of prevention. By combining her natural gift for gab with more than a decade of post-secondary education, Alexandra empowers community heroes by starting conversations around difficult-to-talk-about subjects. She joins me now. Welcome to the show, Alexandra. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. I think most people are going to be surprised to hear how prevalent sex trafficking is in Canada. Uh, yeah, um, I certainly was. I actually didn't know I was trafficked until 10 years after I was trafficked. And that is with a full education in the helping field, with a criminal investigation against my abuser, all of that. I had no idea. What are some of the myths then that you would like people to let go of when it comes to sex trafficking? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, the first one is that it's a kidnapping situation, like the movie Taken. Um, I don't want to discount that that happens, but it is like a 1% of the actual cases. 99% of the time, trafficking happens by someone that the victim knows, loves, and or trusts. Wow, that's incredibly disturbing to hear. It is. I see so many posts about you know, a rose on the dashboard of your car or a zip tie on your car door handle. And these are marks of traffickers that have marked your vehicle and are going to follow you home. Realistically, this is not the case. The traffickers are 
they form a relationship with you. It's worth them, worth it to them to actually get to know their victim and build trust with them. And they do that often online these days. We see it, but also by forming intimate partnerships that look like a boyfriend or girlfriend situation. And do they look for vulnerabilities in their victims? That is exactly what they look for. Everybody has vulnerabilities, every single person. Of course, younger people, marginalized people, um, they have more obvious vulnerabilities. Traffickers are master predators. They're out there to figure out what your vulnerability is, what all those other little vulnerabilities are, and then they're going to gather that information and use it against you. In this day and age where we share literally everything online, especially kids, they don't even realize when they're sharing vulnerabilities. If you post something like a selfie that goes, you know, felt cute, might delete later, that right there is a beacon to a trafficker saying, wow, this person probably is a bit vulnerable about their appearance or their self-confidence. That's an in for me. I'm, I'm so, sitting here a little bit in stunned silence because I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, I knew, I know the online space is not safe, but even something as uh, seemingly innocuous as what you just said, you know, felt cute, well, might delete later, is a way in for traffickers. Uh, you talk about the sex industry a lot. Um, how does that come into play? Yeah, this is where things get complicated because people want to really separate the sex industry from human trafficking. And unfortunately, you cannot separate the two. They are just so enmeshed with each other. Um, the commercial sex industry is inherently degrading. Um, it is, it preys on marginalized and vulnerable populations. Even people who are participating in it, um, saying that they're doing it consensually, while there is a percentage or a small percentage of people who actually do participate in, in it consensually, there's a much larger percentage of people who are there through manipulation, through coercion or through the just trying to survive. We call it survival sex. And as far as I'm concerned, a lack of choice should not equal consent. And this is where things get really confused and conflated between the commercial sex industry and human trafficking. You were trafficked for 10 years. How long has it been now since you have been out of that? No. So just to clarify, I was actually only trafficked for a very short time. It was 10 years after I exited that I actually found out what happened to me was trafficking. Prior to that, I labeled it domestic violence and a series of bad decisions on my part. It wasn't until I was talking to a new friend and explaining a bit about my background and she turned to me and said, um, that's trafficking. You were trafficked. And I had had no idea. But to answer your question, I was trafficked in 2007, so about 15 years ago now. Alexandra, you're so open and you share your story and your vulnerabilities so openly online. I want people to be able to follow you and connect with you because your story will save lives. So how can people do that? Thank you so much. That is what I am trying to do by sharing all of this so publicly. Um, you can connect with me on Instagram and on TikTok uh, at The Laughing Survivor. Website's the same, www.thelaughingsurvivor.com. And yeah, please look me up. My story, uh, all the parts of it are on TikTok if you want to learn more of the details. And on Instagram, I tend to post more tips and tricks and things that I want people to know, more educational stuff. And for people who are listening today and really want to go deeper on this story, uh, Alexandra and I have recorded a longer form podcast that you can find on what she said talk with Candace Sampson uh, that's going to have uh, some information about what grooming looks like, more on Alexandra's story, and how to talk to your kids about it. So thank you so much, Alexandra. And uh, for anybody listening, the podcast is up for you to go listen to. Thank you. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
is a growing problem of homelessness in Canada, which has been exacerbated by the pandemic. Record high inflation, rising rent and food costs, coupled with the lack of affordable housing, is pushing more people into precarious situations. On any given night in Toronto, more than 10,000 people are experiencing homelessness, with 80,000 people on the wait list for subsidized housing. In Canada, more than 35,000 people are homeless each night. It is the public health crisis few are addressing, and one that needs urgent attention. Dr. Karen Shin leads St. Michael's Mental Health and Addiction Services, an academic department that delivers clinical services, educates medical health professionals, and conducts research to improve health outcomes for individuals with mental health illness and substance use disorders, many of whom experience homelessness. She joins me now to discuss how we can address this growing crisis. Welcome to the show, Dr. Shin. Thank you, Candice. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. I, I'm, we're seeing the, the images all over the media right now, particularly in Vancouver. Uh, what is the state of homelessness right now in Canada? I mean, I just read some disturbing numbers, but can you offer anything to expand on that? For sure. Staff Canada has shown that up to 3% of people experience homelessness, and that's unsheltered living. Behind that, there's even a hidden homelessness crisis where people are staying with friends, couch surfing staying with family. So that number reaches about 15%. It really is an issue across all of Canada. And we do see that it's spreading beyond the urban centers. For example, in Toronto, where I, where I work and live, uh, uh, Toronto was the, well, it still is the majority uh, center where, where homeless, uh, there, there is a highest percentage of homelessness in Ontario. But now we're seeing Geographically, it's going out to outlying regions. And I think there's been enormous pressures. There's been inflation, cost of living, lack of affordable housing. And we're just going through uh, coming out of the pandemic. And what we've gone through is an added stress on people who are precariously housed or homeless and trying to get back into some type of shelter. And there are intersections that happen between mental health and homelessness as well. But I imagine that they sort of feed into each other. It becomes sort of this, uh, you know, loop that continues once there's the homelessness, the mental health becomes worse and so on. Is that what you see typically? For sure. It's really a chicken and egg scenario. A lot of people with mental health uh, disorders or substance use issues have a real struggle in gaining sustained employment, perhaps maintaining uh, housing when when they achieve it, uh, just because of the additional stresses and challenges that um, they might be facing. But then if you're homeless, you have the strains of isolation, the impact of that and your mental health. So that makes it so much harder to really climb out of the hole um, when when you're you're in this vulnerable situation. Um, we, we know that, you know, up to studies have shown that up to 50%, perhaps more of people who are homeless experience mental health and substance use disorders. So tackling the issue of homelessness really is a wider healthcare um, initiative. To me, it's so disturbing because I feel what we do as a society is we tend to, again, you're seeing these images on the media, we tend to push homeless people out of the way, out of sight, out of mind, and if we can't see them, they obviously can't be there, which is the worst possible solution to homelessness. So what are the real actionable steps we can take to address this issue? We really need motivation. The reduction of stigma. It's interesting you say that we push this out into the fringes and really it is interwoven within the community and the social, medical, economic issue of homelessness affects us all and um, is a risk to to all of us and our loved ones. Um, it isn't something that, you know, someone is housed one day and then homeless the next. There, there is a stress and a drift and um, there are a lot of actionable um, ways in which we can we can try to address this. And one thing, working in a hospital in an academic center with St. Michael's Hospital with University of Toronto is that we are trying to train um, healthcare professionals to be 
aware of the challenges to address these um, uh, the health and uh, social crisis, and also to develop research and in, in programs and initiatives that will help this. Uh, for example, St. Michael's Hospital, through the support of philanthropic leaders, has been able to start a program in the last year or so called Project Dignify, where we um, are serving uh, pe people who are over 65 and either homeless or precariously housed, a very vulnerable population. Um, this was through the support of the Odette family, and they have provided additional galvanizing support. We just had the um, Odette lecture, which brought in a internationally renowned speaker from Harvard, Dr. Howard Coe, to come and um, talk about the, um, yeah. the homelessness and, and uh, the academic initiative that's needed. And hopefully by bringing in thought leaders together, uh, highlighting the need for philanthropic support, um, this will uh, provide the, the necessary resources and ideas and energy to continue tackling the problem. Well, things are about to get a whole lot colder outside. And I know my audience uh, listening is compassionate and they would like to help. So where can they go uh, to do that? I'm glad uh, that this is an opportunity to share that at St. Michael's Hospital, we do focus a lot of our work on serving those who are marginalized and vulnerable. Uh, our foundation, which you can find more information about on the website, stmichaelsfoundation.com, uh, is a place where people can go to look at the projects and look at the important work we're doing and also donate if they're able to. All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was uh, sadly enlightening. Thank you. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.